the Lord's table this morning, uh, the words of that hymn um, really helped to focus our thoughts this morning. Uh, were the whole realm of nature mine. That would be an offering that would be far too small. If God could give us everything in the world, you know, that would be far too small. Um, love so amazing, so divine. Jesus' death on the cross demands my soul, my life, my all. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 116, verse 12, How shall I repay the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will take up the cup of salvation. And call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The Lord's Supper, a communion. This is a time that we spend every, uh, every month. We gather together around this table. And the reason we come is to remember and give thanks for all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He sent his son to die on the cross. He has died in our place for our sin. We take the cup remembering his blood that was shed on the cross. Um, The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And God sent his own dear son to shed his blood on the cross for our forgiveness. We take the bread Remember the body of Christ which was broken for us. And we come around this table with great thanks. Great thanks for his love. So amazing, so divine. That whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We're those that have trusted in Jesus and put our faith in him. And therefore we gather around this table with hearts full of thankfulness for all that he's done for us. As we come, Bob's just going to lead us now as he leads us to prayer. In John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul talks about that love in Romans chapter 8. He says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God of love and that you gave so that we might have eternal life. 
Lord, we thank you that you bore in your body the penalty for our sin, and that in your blood you wash us clean and make us whiter than snow. And so, Lord, we come this morning, we want to come before you humbly as little children, seeking you as our Abba, Daddy, that you provide for us in every way, in all things. And we thank you so much that you have provided salvation in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so we come this morning, Lord, asking you to renew us in the presence of your spirit, to draw us to your side, and remind us through this day that you loved us so much that you gave. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And um, as we have gathered around the Lord's table and as we've welcomed members in, there's just a few other things that I think we, sh we should be aware of and perhaps pause just to pray for one moment for Shane Keeble is in Melbourne. At the moment, he just went down last night for an angiogram um, just to have a look at his heart. He's been in um, the Wodonga Hospital for this week and um, he's down there in Melbourne, so it'd be great to pray for him. We want to continue to pray for... Um, Alan Prentice, who's just, he's recovering, um, I think he's, is he home? Yet yeah, still, still in hospital, still there, so hoping to get out soon. So why don't, we, why don't we just lift up these two guys at the moment and we'll just ask God's blessing and help and strengthening for all those that are sick at the moment. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love and for your uh, detailed care of us. We thank you that Every moment of our life is lived before your watchful eye. And God, we thank you that you, uh, nothing passes you by. And so we come this morning, your people, and we just want to pray for Shane Keeble. We uh, pray that at this time you'd be really um, strengthening him and that he would know your peace and your presence in his life. God, we pray for the doctors and we pray for those that are just trying to um, really minister, uh, administer the right treatment to him at this time. And we pray for wisdom. And God, we pray for healing. We pray that you would he heal him. God, we pray uh, at this time too, he would just um, be overwhelmed at who you are in this whole situation. God, we pray that too for Alan. Uh, we pray for him as he continues to recover after his operation this week. And we just pray that, God, you would be touching him in a special way and that you'd be strengthening him and that his recovery would be, would be quick. Thank you for your love for him. And God, for other people today, there are so many people that have pain that others aren't aware about. We just pray for them. May you be just reminding them of your love this morning and your care for them. And we pray that you'd be strengthening those that have all kinds of things that are holding them back um, in their own spiritual lives from following you. God, we would pray that you'd just be helping them to have the courage to just lay those things before you as well. Oh God, we just want to uh, continue to trust in you whatever our circumstances are. We thank you that you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the... Uh, Things that I find are incredible are the things that people say um, towards the end of their life. Um, if you've ever been in a room where people know that they're about to die, sometimes the things that they say are of very great importance. Uh, when we know we have a moment just to share things, 
and we won't have very long to share them with, with the people that we're with, the words that we say should be weighed and measured carefully. And when Jesus gathered his disciples together at the very end of his life in John, in Matthew chapter 28, the words that he says we can know have great significance because they're repeated five times throughout the New Testament. Jesus, this is what it says in Matthew 28 and verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Jesus gathered his disciples around him as he was just about to be taken up to heaven away from them, their physical presence, his physical presence with them. He said these words to them and he told them and he showed us clearly that God wants us to be reaching new people, sharing the things that he's shared with us and taking them into all the world so that others might come to know him. The value that we're looking at today is evangelism. Evangelism and the statement that we uh, as a church um, have, have adopted for this value is that we have a passion to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone. Our value is evangelism. And as a church, we have a passion to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone. Why? Because God wants us to. And you know, one of the main reasons why we're to share this good news that we have with people is because people matter to God. Secondly, because he's transformed our lives. Thirdly, because we're commanded to follow him. And and. And fourthly, because if we don't, who else is going to share? But before we unpack those four things this, this morning, I just want to remind you of what this good news is. Evangelism means, uh, the Greek word is euangelion, which means good news. It's good news. And evangelism is simply sharing the good news with other people. So let's just be clear on what the good news is. Now, God is a God of love. 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. And God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is a perfect community where God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are a community of love, loving one another. But God wanted to express his love, and so he made mankind, human beings. So God is love, and he loves us. He made us. And he loves us and he wants to have a relationship with us. But the only problem is that the very first man that God made turned his back on God. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden decided that they were going to reject God's love and go their own way. And they sinned against God. And the holy, loving God and sinful human beings don't go together. So there was a gap between us and God. And there was a chasm that has made its way right through every single person right down until today. The Bible says that all have sinned in the way that first man, Adam, did. 
right till today. And I think you don't have to be too, um, you, you know, you don't have to be a too astute to actually work that out. I think as we look around us uh, in the world in general, there are so many signs that life is not how it should be. We see wars, we see diseases, we see the earth, uh, you know, the massive floods and earthquakes. I just watched the news last night and there are just hundreds and hundreds of people dying through uh, storms in the Philippines. And then I see in America there are massive uh, cold snaps where people are just dying. I see there are people um, constantly, we're living in a world where there's loneliness and isolation and hurt, unforgiveness pain and sorrow. And when we look at the world in general, we see that that is true of people's lives now. It's just a demonstration that this God of love who loved us and made us to know him and to love him, that's not how it is right now. Sin has entered the world and it's come into every single person's life. And the problem is that that's bad news, but it's worse than bad news because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 says that. That means that everybody who has sinned will get the wages of sin, the payment of sin, and that's death. So everybody who's put their trust, uh, who, who, has, who, who has lived and has, has not put their trust or done something with their sin will die. So it creates a big problem. You know what most people do? We know intuitively that things are not right. We know that we're far from God. And so we try and do things to work our way back to God. In fact, all the religions of the world um, spell religion um, D-O, do. You know, it's what you do to try and earn your way back to God. You've you, you got to try and be good. You've got to try and be nice. You've got to try and you know, help the poor, give be not swear, not smoke, not drink, not, you know, or try and do whatever you want to do if you think that will help you get back to God. And it's do. And the only problem is no one can say how much you need to do to be right in God's sight. Like, how do we know when we've done enough to be right? And the Bible says that you can never do enough to be made right in God's sight. Um, if you've sinned once, then the chasm is massive. And you can't bridge the gap yourself. There's nothing you can do. Christianity spells it completely differently. Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. It's got nothing to do with what you do, but it's all to do with what Jesus has done. He's come. He's been sent by God, God in the flesh, and he's lived a sinless life, and he died on the cross, and he died in our place. The wages of sin is death, but the verse goes on in Romans 6.23 to say, but the gift of God, is uh, Jesus Christ is the gift of God, a free gift given to us. So here we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and not in the things that we do, and we receive forgiveness and we receive reconciliation with God. We're forgiven, we're made right, and a relationship begins. God loves us, we're sinful. God sent Jesus Christ to bridge the gap. And if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have new life. We've been forgiven, we've been reconciled, and we receive not eternal death, but eternal life because of our trust in Jesus Christ. As soon as we put our trust in him, we're forgiven. His spirit comes to live within us and strengthens us and gives us hope 
for the future. Now, I think that's good news. I think it's great news. What do you think? Good? I think it's exciting. It gives us a reason to live every day. And we know that now, any minute, if our lives was to go, we'd go to be with him forever. But God's not taking us there. And he's not, he hasn't put us, transported us to heaven straight away when we've made that decision. And um, there are only two things that you're not able to do when you get to heaven. And one is to sin, because there's no sin in heaven. And the other thing is to witness, because there's no people that will be non-Christians in heaven. So which one do you think he wants us to keep doing before we get to heaven? <laughs> well, it's not sin, is it? He wants us to share our faith in the time that we have now until the time we go to be with him. And why? Well, the first reason is that people matter to God. So they ought to matter to us. You know, God loves lost people with a passion. He, he's seeking to save the lost today. Right now, God is searching and looking for people who are far from him and wanting to draw them into a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, that's why God sent his son into the world, because he loves people that are far from him and he longs for them to come to know him. He says, he said, Jesus said when he was on earth, after Zacchaeus had turned his complete life around, and come to Jesus. He said, for, the son of, for I, the Son of Man, have come to seek and save him, people like him, like Zacchaeus, who are lost. Jesus says, I've come to save the lost. That's in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. You know, he told another time a crowded hillside of, of sinners, and it says notorious sinners in the New Living Translation in Luke 15, and they were gathered around on a hillside and there were the religious people saying, who is this man, Jesus, who wants to associate with such riffraff? And Jesus knew what they were saying. And so he started to tell these stories and to tell them what God is like and what God thinks about notorious sinners and people that are far from him. And the first story that he said was one about a shepherd. And he said that God's like a shepherd. He's like a shepherd who's got 99 sheep and one goes missing. And so he leaves the 99. The one is so important that he leaves the 99 to go looking for the lost sheep. And he keeps searching until he finds him. And then when he finds the sheep, he comes back and says to everybody, his friends, and he says, come on, let's have a party. Let's celebrate because what was lost is now found. I can imagine Jesus looking at the people and saying, well, we've got to give it again. There's another story needed here. They haven't quite got it that God, that God loves lost people. So he tells a story about a woman, an old woman, who's lost, got 10 coins and she loses one of those 10 coins. And instead of this woman saying, well, I've got nine other coins, I'm okay, she sweeps the whole house. She goes crazy. She lights a lamp and she starts sweeping, moving all the furniture, and she doesn't stop until she finds the coin. And when she finds the coin, she says, Ooh, rejoice with me. She goes and tells her neighbours and they come together and they celebrate. Why? Because what was lost is found. And Jesus, as he's standing there, I can imagine thinking, one more. They needed three in a row here. I'm going to give them three times, three stories to show them how much God loves lost people. And he tells about the prodigal son. And he talks about a son who had uh, an inheritance but he wasn't supposed to get that until his dad dies, but he boldly goes up and says, Go, you know, give me the inheritance due to me. In other words, Dad, I wish you were dead. You know, give me what would be mine if you were dead. And so the dad gives him the inheritance and he takes the money and he just spends it on wild living, you know, women and wine and all the, all the uh, pl 
pleasures that he could find and he just lives it up and it breaks his father's heart. And every day his father longs for him to return and when his son comes down the track broken and realising what a mess he's made of his life, the father is waiting. And what was so um, undignified for fathers in that culture, he did, his father. He lifted up his, his, uh, his, his dress, his gowns, his clothes, and he ran towards his son and he hugged him because he was so thrilled that the person that was lost had come home. You know, that's what God thinks. When anyone who's far from him comes to know him, he loves lost people with a passion and he wants people to come to know him. That's why he sent his son. That's why he is continuing to want you and I to share the love of Jesus with other people because God loves lost people with a passion. He's still looking for people today and he's looking for us to take this love to other people. That's why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the Christians... Doesn't say that, does it? For God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever, we're talking people that are really notorious sinners, yes. We're talking about people that might be, um, you know, uh, homosexuals or lesbians. <laughs> well, God loves them. He wants them to come to know him. People that are angry, people that are. Uh, haters, people that are addicted to all kinds of wrong things. Yes, God loves them and he wants them to come to know him and to come and have a relationship with him. That's why God is desperately searching for those that are far from him. And that's why we as a church value evangelism because we have a passion to share the good news of Christ with everyone. Why else? Well, because people matter to God. But secondly, why should we share this good news with others? Is because God has really transformed our lives. And it's been an authentic thing. We talked about integrity. This is real. God has really transformed my life and your life. And we believe as a result of that real genuine experience that every single person would be better with Jesus. Everybody's life that we come across would be better if Jesus was Lord of their life. We genuinely believe it. So when we see someone who's uh, giving all the signs of that they're happy and satisfied but they don't know Jesus, it breaks our heart because we know that they would be better with Jesus. If, even if they're rich, even if they're famous, even if they look like they've got everything together, they haven't had their ultimate need met to know the living God who created them, to know the forgiveness that he can offer and to have eternal life. So it breaks our heart. If there are people that are broken in addiction and pain and hurt and are just finding life such a mess, we long for them to know Jesus in the way that we know him because we know that every single person will be better with Jesus. You see, since we've come to know God, you and I, We've been continually receiving blessing after blessing after blessing from him. Every day we live now uh, knowing that there's just more than me and my material uh, things that I can see and touch around me. My life is here not by chance. God loves me and has a purpose for my life 
and he wants to use me for his kingdom. When you realize that, you start to have a real appreciation for God, a real thankfulness. And when, when you're like this, you find it much more easier to talk to lost people about Jesus because you're not just talking about something that you learn and your pastor's trying to force you to do. You know, like a, a set of ABCs that if you are able to share it, your pastor will be happy. You know what I mean? It's much more than that. This is a genuine thing that comes out of our hearts when we know Jesus. So it flows from us. This is overflow. Evangelism flows out of the real relationship that we have with, with God every day. We say, what's happened to me is incredible. Why don't you come and see for yourself? This happened in Acts chapter 3 when Peter and John, they came across a man who'd been crippled from birth and uh, the guy was being carried on a stretcher to a place where he would beg every day. And as he saw Peter and John going by, he asked them for money. He was just begging. And um, what happened is Peter looked straight at him in the eye and he said, look, look at us. We don't have any money, but we do have Jesus. And in his name, I say, rise up and walk. And the man just right then stood up and walked. And he started walking and he started jumping. And he started jumping around the temple, praising God and giving thanks to God for what he's done. You know, everyone around heard the shouts, heard and saw what had happened and seen the transformation that had occurred. And they said, what's happened? Who's healed him? What's going on? And as a result, many people asked Peter and John, who told them about what God had done and what he'd done in sending Jesus. And many people believed, the Bible said. What happens here is God's work. God's work is powerfully at work in someone's life. They start sharing and people believe. That's what evangelism is about, the overflow. You, know, you surrender your life to Jesus as Lord of your life. We're a Christ-centered church. And from that, people see God at work in your life and, fly, and, and, it, and it speaks so clearly. I think one of the most powerful witnesses for God is a surrendered life to Jesus where you are telling and living every day according to his power. When we realise what God's done, we say, you've got to hear what's happened to me. It's incredible. You know, in John chapter 4, the woman at the well was speaking to Jesus and after she realised that he was the Messiah, she went back to her village and she shared, come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. And then the people of the town came back and they came to Jesus and Jesus spent some time with them and they gave their hearts to Jesus. And the Bible says that you know, many people from that town believe because of her testimony you know for many people we will be the only bible that people will ever read and when people look at our lives and see what jesus is doing in our lives what a great testimony Do you know uh, fritz chrysler uh he was a well it's a well was a world famous violinist and he earned a fortune with his concerts, lots of money, and he, he did compositions as well. And he generously gave most of the money that he earned away to other people. And so when he discovered that there was this exquisite violin um, that, uh, that he, he saw on one of his trips, he, he saw it, he wanted it, but he wasn't able to buy it because he'd given all his money away. So later, having raised enough money to meet the price that was being asked, 
He returned to the seller and he was hoping to purchase the beautiful instrument. But to his great disappointment, uh, the violin had been sold to a collector and Chrysler made his way to this new owner's home and offered to buy the violin. The collector said it had become his prized possession and that he would not sell it. Really disappointed, uh, Chrysler was about to leave when he had an idea. He said, could I play the instrument once before it's consigned to silence? Permission was granted. And the great virtuoso filled the room with such heart-moving mu heart music that the collector's emotions were deeply stirred. He said, I have no right to keep that to myself. It's yours. Mr Chrysler, take it into the world and let people hear it. I think one of the biggest tragedies for us as Christians is to have the most incredible thing happen in our lives and lock it away in a collector's item, not sharing it with other people. The gospel of Jesus Christ has changed us. Let's share it. Thirdly, God loves lost people with a passion. You know, he's transformed our lives and, and people, uh, you know, we, we want other people to experience what we've experienced. Thirdly, we've been commanded by Jesus himself to go and to share the gospel. You know, in Matthew 28, we've read that Jesus said, go into all the world. And do you know, the word go appears 1,514 times in the Bible, in the RSVP, uh, RSV, not the RSVP. Um, you know, there's 233 times in the New Testament and 54 times in Matthew's gospel where Jesus tells us to go. He says, go to the lost sheep of Israel. Go and tell John. Go and invite all you meet. Go and make disciples. Go, go, go. The church should be made up of people who go. Jesus calls us not only to come to him, but to go out for him. And Jesus' command to go is often called the Great Commission. And we've said this before. It, you know, it's repeated five times. It's so important. He's saying, I want you to get this. It's not the great commission. Uh, it's not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. It's the great commandment. Go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, and we, we need to be obeying Jesus. If we're surrendered to Christ, if we are a Christ-centered church, if we value Christ, then we'll obey his commands. It won't be optional. It's going to mean that we're going to have to change our lives in order to make this value a part of everything that we do. Fourthly, not only are we commanded, but if we don't, who else will? It's just as simple as that. I mean, we are, uh, we are part of um, God's church, but in Wodonga and in Albury, um, we would be, we're part of, um, a number of churches, but we need to give everything that we can to share the gospel with people because there is a great possibility that if we don't share it, people living right around us may never get the opportunity to hear about what Jesus has done. We can't be waiting and hoping for another church to do that. We can't be uh, praying and hoping that somebody else will, will take Christ's call. And the fact is, you know, you can't be waiting for your pastor to do it. We live in Avondale Drive, 
Mandy and I, our family. We don't live next to your next door neighbours. I don't know your mum and dad and your rest of your wider family like you do. I don't work at your workplace. But God has got you in places where you can make a difference by living for him and loving Jesus and sharing whenever you get an opportunity of what God's been doing in your life and sharing the gospel with other people as the opportunity arrives. God's given you the personality, the gifts, the talents, the abilities and the place where you particularly live and work and he wants to use those to reach people through you. And if you don't do it, who else is going to? Let's not count on somebody else. Let's take those opportunities. I, I, my just desire is to one day be able to uh, stand before God and him to say, Jonathan, did you realise these people are here because of you, because you took a risk, because you had made an opportunity, you made the most of an opportunity? I want people to stand around my gravestone, uh, my funeral, at my funeral, and as I'm being lowered down, I, I would just love there to be a few generations of people that say, you know, Jonathan took the time to share the gospel with us and look our whole lives, our families, our kids are now know Jesus. I'd love that to be your, what happens in your life, that people would say that about you, that, you know, you did a lot of things with your life and a great lot of achievements, but you help to change the eternal destinies of human beings that you know. You know, um, a lot, a lot of people have written a lot about um, how we can share our faith. And just this last holidays, I read a book by Bill Hybels called uh, just, just Walk Across the Room. And in the book, he, he just says, you know, sometimes just sharing your faith is just as simple as saying yes when the Holy Spirit prompts you to take a risk. You know, we don't know. We might not know all how to share our faith. We might not know what the person's going to say or how it is. But when God puts you in a position where he can use you, take a step of faith. Just take the first steps and start going and saying, God, I'm going to be trusting in, in, in you on this. You know, this happened to me just uh, this, this week. I just came to the community day here on Thursday. And as I walked into the room, there were tables filled with, with people I know and love warm smiling faces and I was drawn to those tables in my heart but you know I had this sense of God saying you know trust me step out of your comfort zone there was a table right there where I saw it largely made up of people that I just didn't know at all and there was a couple of seats left on the table so I bravely went over to the table that I didn't know almost of strangers and I asked if I could sit there and they said politely no you know at this table's Taken. There are people that are sitting in this in these seat, this seat here. I said, "Oh, what, what about that one there?" You know, they said, "No, that one's taken too." <laughs> you know, thinking, "Oh God, you know, what's what's that?" They said, "We can take this one up here, though." So I went up to the other end of the table, and you know what I found during that meal was just a great group of people who I was able to get to know. And towards the end of the meal, um, some of our conversations moved around in such a way that we were able to share. Um, I was able to share with people how they could know for sure when they had died whether they'd be in heaven or not. And, and you know what? It didn't start with an incredible, um, you know, me learning something. It started the moment I walked in to say, I'm going to take the next step. 
I'm going to take a step of faith and say, yes, God, you take it. I believe there are opportunities around for all of us like that. Our next door neighbour, just take the next step um, of asking them to the musical. Just take the next step of baking them a cake or, or asking them a question about how they're feeling. And that might lead to taking a step across the room where God might use that opportunity. I think so many of us just live in our comfort zones, never taking the next step, although knowing what it is. And we've got used to that with our family and with our friends. And just taking a small step at the prompting of God's spirit can help us so much. Do you know, our second value that I want to just share briefly now flows right out of evangelism. And it's welcome. It's welcome. It's saying, we welcome you because God loves you and cares about you. Our, our statement for this is welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> no matter who you are or what you've done, you're welcome. That's what our church wants to say. No matter who you are or what you've done, you're welcome. You know why? You know why that, that is? Because as, as all people are made in the image of God, every single person is made in God's image. And every single person is precious to God and valuable to him. And because God loves them and is seeking them and wants them to know him and come into a relationship with him where their sin is forgiven and they're in a vibrant relationship with him, because God wants that, we want that too. So as a church, we want to welcome people that are far from God. We want to welcome people that aren't, don't have the marks or external signs of Christianity. Why? Because a church isn't a place for people that say, I'm going to get everything right. I'm going to buy a new suit, quit everything that I'm doing wrong in my life and become a holy person. Then I can go to church. It's the opposite way. People that are sinners, that are far from God, that are broken, that recognise their sin, that come to church, need to, they're the exact ones that God can work with. There was a time when Jesus said, you know, I haven't come to fix the healthy. I've come to, for the sick. And what he was saying was, if you think you're all right, you're far from me. And there are people that might come to church that, that think they're okay on the external but will never surrender to Jesus. And we want to be a church that opens our arms wide to everybody with the prayer and with the hope that people will one day be Christ-centred, that will know Jesus as their Lord. And until they see our love, until they understand that God is real, they'll never be able to do that. Jesus commanded that we're to love our neighbour. And then he went on and explained that our neighbour is anyone who seeks our help. You know, um, people who are hurt, people who are lonely, people who are far from God, who are broken, who need our help, they're our neighbour. Our physical neighbours are people in Wodonga and Albury in the region around and Jesus says we're to welcome them. Most people would never think of coming to a church to find love. I think many people would think they would find a judging and, and condemning spirit in a church. And I think we want our church to be a church that boldly loves. Not because of people have reached a mark that makes them approval to us, but because God loves them and he wants to see their lives transformed. Um, we want, Jesus even said, love your enemies. Not, not just people coming to your church looking different or dis displaying sinful behaviour. 
He said, love your enemies. So we're just not, we're to love even those who are persecuting us. He said, pray for those who persecute you. Uh, We want people to know that they can come to our church just as they are. But we don't want them to stay just as they are. We want, our prayer is that as people come and receive our love, that they will come to realise that life without Jesus is not worth living. We want people to come and to know him. So one of the things is that every time someone steps into this door, we would love it if you are committed to this church and you're part of this church and you're committed to the value, that you would be looking to welcome them with open arms, that you would be demonstrating love to them, that at this Christmas musical that we would have people that would be volunteering to to welcome people on the door as they come, that we would have people that would be willing to be part of an organised welcome team that we have here. If you'd like to do that, just, just put your name down on that, that if, on the blue cards, if I'd love to be a welcomer. If you're someone who would be um, having a coffee, what, what we want is every single person to be looking out for new people, whether it be here at church, whether it be in your small group, whether it be at your activities, ministry that you're a part of, whether it be at youth group, whether it be at kids' church, we want everybody to be welcoming the per- person that's on the outer, no matter who they are, the new person, the person far away. You know what? Church, I think there are times we get this really right. Three months ago after church, I was sitting up the back having a coffee and everybody was going and, and leaving and a man had waited for a long time. I could see he was waiting to speak to me and then he waited and he said, look, I just wanted to share with you, uh, Pastor. He said, you know, I've, I've come to this church a number of times over the years and he said, I can't attest the church. He said, I said, oh, no, what's coming? And he said, what, what, I, what I do is I've just stood over in the corner. And he said, I just want you to know, I just can't stand there by myself here at this church. People just keep coming over and keep talking to me. He said, I'm testing you, and your church is a welcoming church. He said, people come and talk, and I, you know, I've just had constantly people. This is a warm and friendly, welcoming church. And that's great, isn't it? Praise God. They're showing our values are at work. But do you know what? Last week, I got a uh, blue card, and it, and it came from someone who'd come for the first time last week. And he said, had morning cuppa for 30 minutes before the 11 service, not approached or talked to by one person. Then he wrote, a concern, not a judgment. Someone came last week and spent 30 minutes not talking to somebody, and no one talked to him. And I think, church, this is something that we all need to be doing every week. You know, it's a big church and our excuse is often saying, I don't know who's new and who's not. Now, if someone comes up to you and says, are you new here? And you go, don't go, I've been here 50 years. Say, oh, no, I've been around, but it's lovely that you'd welcome me, you know. Let's be encouraging of each other and welcoming of everybody because we want people to feel like this is a place where they can be loved and accepted to come to know Jesus. Well, we all need Jesus. Every single person needs Jesus. And that's why we want to share the good news. We want to welcome everyone who comes. Let's, uh, n- let's pray that this would be a value of our church. Let's pray now. God, we just thank you so much for the way in which you're challenging us. We want to be people that are... Uh, people that are full of your love and sharing your love to people wherever we go. God, we thank you. We thank you so much that you have welcomed us and because you've opened your arms out to us, 
we have responded. And God, we would pray that you would help us to be a welcoming church that welcomes others and, and demonstrates our love to others. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.